Well, in his book, Love Does, Bob Goff talked about something called Quit Something Thursday. And one of the lines in that book, he said, it's Thursday, quit being who you are. And for him, that was an opportunity to do things differently, to let things go, to take something on. And so he quit things like having an office, things like leaving voicemails. He even quit certain pieces of furniture, certain items of clothing over the course of time. It adds up. I've got friends in my life who even before quit something Thursday was a thing, would quit things regularly, give things up regularly, not even because it's Lent or Happy New Year. If they hadn't used something or worn something in their closet for some time, they would give it away. I've got a friend who's given up chocolate, period, end of story. I have a friend who had an experience where they felt like God asked them to quit drinking, and so they did. I've got a friend who's tried to quit complaining, and within 21 days, if he complains, he starts over because he's trying to make change and experience transformation. This morning, we continue in a season of the church, a liturgical season called Lent. And it is a period of 40 days, not counting Sunday, six Sundays in all that lead up to Easter Sunday. And during that season, some of us have given things up or quit things, taken things on even to experience transformation. And I wonder sometimes if we try too hard because transformation really is the work of God. And so more than quit something Thursday, we are in the midst of a season with a worship theme called Altered, experiencing the transforming power of surrender. And last week we talked about Noah, who after he left the ark, the first thing he did was build an altar and make a sacrifice to God to mark that occasion in his life and to lift up an expectation of an experience that was ruled by the priority of God in his life. And that was true of his life even prior to, but true of his life from then on as well. This morning, we're at the altar of surrender, and we're in another story of the Bible, of the book of Genesis, and it's a story from Abraham's life. More than quit something Thursday, the invitation to us along the lines of Abraham's life is an invitation to surrender. And the first step is to take a step in the direction that God is inviting us to journey in. We see that in Genesis 22. In fact, we see it in Genesis 12. Abraham is the father of our faith. He is a man of deep faith. He lived roughly 4,000 years ago, and he was the first one called by God on biblical record. And maybe he was the first one who responded to God's call. Sometimes I wonder, how many others did God appear before he appeared to Abraham? But no one was willing to go with God. Genesis 22 opens up very much the same way that Genesis 12 opened up. And in my opinion, serves as a bookend to Abraham's faith formation. In Genesis 12, God spoke saying, Abraham, go by yourself from your country 
to a land that I will show you. And Abraham obeyed, leaving his father, his people, his father's land, even though he didn't know where he was going. He was a wanderer and a stranger when God said in Genesis 13 or Genesis 15, I promise to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, Romans 4 says. The only problem with that promise God made to Abraham is that he and his bride, Sarah, had no children and they were already getting up in years. Nonetheless, Abraham followed God and trusted him implicitly. He believed God when he turned his face in the direction God invited him to go and he took a simple step of faith. He stepped out and the stage was set for a people to be born, a people of God, and this was all a part of God's master plan to save and rescue the world. In the scripture that we read, times passed about 20 years since God called Abraham in Genesis 12. And as God would have it, Abraham and Sarah in their old age still have found themselves to be childless. In Genesis 21, we see that Abraham was 100 years old. His bride, Sarah, was 90. And she gave birth to a son whom they called Isaac. 20 years after this invitation made, this promise given. And in Genesis 21, now in 22, God had made good on his promise to Abraham. And God's promise was more about God's plan than Abraham's posterity or his progeny, more than offspring. And God knew that Abraham's or excuse me, that his plan would only come to pass if Abraham trusted him completely. So now fast forward a dozen years or so, Genesis 22, Isaac is 12 years old. God tested Abraham, called him by name, just like he did in Genesis 12, Abraham, Abraham. And just like he did in Genesis 12, Abraham stepped out in faith. This time when God called, Abraham replied with a single word, Hineni, and it's translated as, here I am. It means Abraham was ready. He was attentive, alert, and responsive to God's instruction. God who said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. This would no doubt require full commitment on Abraham's part. In its simplest form, a burnt offering is an offering to God, a gift to God, and it demonstrates gratitude for God's goodness, atonement for some sin, and God asked Abraham to give him this gift of his son. And Abraham was familiar with making sacrifices. Surely he'd offered up animals before, rams, goats. But in this moment, Abraham didn't get to decide what it was that he would sacrifice. It wasn't his choice. And it was not just a lamb or a goat. This was the one person who could perpetuate the promise that God had given your son, your only son whom you love. 
Abraham's obedience to God in this moment was full commitment. It was a way of saying to God, I love you. I trust you. And so in 22 verse three, that next morning, Abraham got his provisions together and he took two of his servants along with his son, Isaac, and they set out for the place he did not yet even know where, the place that God would show them. And on their way, there was no conversation to speak of. And on the third day, they arrived. Abraham had placed the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac's shoulders while Abraham himself carried the fire and carried the knife. And the two of them went up to that place, that holy place. And as they went, silence is broken. Isaac states the obvious, Dad, we've got the ram and the fire. We've got everything we need, but we don't have the ram. Where's that lamb for the sacrifice? To which Abraham replied, verse six, excuse me, eight, God himself will provide. And I wonder to what extent Abraham believed those words, trusted God. For the second time, it says, they went on together. And to be clear, here, Isaac trusts his father every bit as much as Abraham is trusting God. And when they get to the place God had led them to, in verse 9, Abraham built an altar and he arranged the wood on it and he tied his son and he placed him on that altar. And Abraham picked up the knife to slay his son. Right about now, we find ourselves caught between the tension of a lovable father who faces unspeakable tragedy and an obedient worshiper of God, knife raised, ready to sacrifice his son. Richard Foster writes of this moment, just as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. If worship does not propel us to greater obedience, it has not been worship. Partial obedience is not obedience. It's total disobedience. Abraham was obeying God, and in the chaos of that moment, God spoke as if to say, Stop! Abraham! Abraham! And again, Abraham replied, Hineni, I'm ready. I'm at your disposal, God. Say the word. And God did. Don't hurt the boy. Now I know how fearlessly you fear God. You did not hesitate to sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And right then and there in that moment, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket, and he sacrificed that ram instead of his son. In verse 14, Abraham renamed that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. Not the Lord did provide. The Lord will provide. You talk about an experience that formed faith 
and shaped the rest of Abraham's life. Trusting God in that moment, the Lord will provide. Abraham had an experience of God's grace, a revelation of God's goodness that was the height of faith formation and shaped the rest of his life. He found faith in that moment. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac, the one he loved, and there was great risk involved because it begged the question, if this, then how will God fulfill the promise of a nation? Child sacrifice was a pagan rite in which the firstborn was offered up to a God to secure that God's favor. And if that's the lens Abraham is looking through, his faith is not that impressive. He's just doing what was common practice in his culture in his day, commonly acceptable to win the heart of a trivial, superficial, shallow-minded God. But God detests child sacrifice, and he says as much in Leviticus 18.21. This experience is just a precursor of that word. God directly prohibited it. And in this scene from Abraham's life, God was making a distinction between the one true God and all of the other gods there in the ancient Near East. When God said, stop, Abraham was obedient. He was responsive in that moment. To obey is better than sacrifice. That's what God wants from you and me our heart that moves us to obey him in all of life. So I wonder if God showed the greater act of faith in this story and calling one man who would do whatever it was he asked of him, even slay his son, much more so though, to stop short of doing it. I wonder what Abraham and Isaac talked about that night as they lay next to that fire and looked up into the sky, the night sky full of stars. I wonder what emotions they felt, not at life being spared, but at God's revelation. God wants his people to really live, to thrive even in the midst of life. God's heart is to rescue and not to punish. God's plan involves surrender. It necessitates trust. Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as all the stars in the sky, and through you and your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed, all because of your obedience, not just your willingness to sacrifice your son, but your willingness to stop to be different, yes. to do things differently. And none of the fulfillment of this promise is Abraham's responsibility. It's not even in his power. It's got nothing to do with him and everything to do with God. The thing about the burnt offering, it was totally consumed on the altar of God. A fragrant aroma going up pleasing in the noise and nostril of our God. But it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to truly satisfy, to take away sins. 
In that moment, God spared Abraham's son. He provided a means by which things would be made right between Abraham and God, but that was merely a shadow of greater things to come. And you know that when the time was right, God's son stepped out of heaven. He embodied all that God promised to do and mobilized all that God planned to do. Jesus humbled himself, taking the very form of a servant. He gave his disciples a new command to love really well. He spoke of that which he would pour into his disciples, the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus sweated drops of blood as he poured his own heart out to God, saying, Father, if there's any other way, Father, since there's no other way. And Jesus was not offering up his son. Jesus is God's son. Only son. The one he loves. Jesus didn't struggle or run away. He journeyed up that mountain wood on his shoulders. He was laid to death, nailed to that wood. And the death he died, he died to sin once for all that we might really live. And so the simplicity of the gospel is Jesus' death and his resurrection. In Hebrews eleven seventeen says, by faith... Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that even God could raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he himself received Isaac back from death. Church, Christ is that son raised from the dead. And he appeared to over 500 followers over a period of about 40 days. Then he ascended. And when he did, because he did on the 50th day of Pentecost, he poured his Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who realize their need, those who repent and receive the gift of his promise, and that's salvation. That's what God has been doing all the way back since the beginning of time, the book of Genesis, saving this world. And he chooses to do it through common practices, culture, and experiences setting people apart as different from that. He chose to do it even today through the likes of you and me. We are called to be a people marked by God's presence to be different, to live differently. That's the story of the Bible, calling men and women not to make their life any easier, but to make their life a fragrant offering lived out unto God 
as we offer the sacrifice of self, as we surrender it all, laying it there on the altar. The story of the Bible is the story of salvation history, and God is writing it, and he has written us into it. And just as was Abraham's experience, he stepped out in faith in the very beginning of it all, but it was not a stepping that was one moment in time, it was moments all the time. Even 20 years into this journey with God, the sacrifice of a promise, his own son even. And I wonder sometimes if God isn't even calling us to sacrifice our idea of the promise he's invited us to step into. I think that's true of us individually. I think that's true for us corporately. And so what's the vision, the life, the story that God is writing that he's invited us to step into? It's on us not to idolize that, but to even sacrifice that to God, that we might know true life and experience the fullness of his promise. That's the invitation. Not one moment in time, moments all the time to surrender everything we have, everything we are, even everything we think God has led us to because he is God alone and he is worthy of it all. So I wanna facilitate some prayer as we draw this time to a close. And I wanna invite you to, to pray with me and follow the prompts as God leads us through this time to total surrender. So Lord, we give pause to listen to your voice, to listen for your voice. I pray, Lord, that just as clearly as Abraham heard you speak, you would allow us to hear you call our name. as we hear your voice, I pray that our response would be, Hineni, here am I. At the ready. We don't even know where you're leading, but we're going with you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision that is bigger than just one person, bigger than ourself. The same word, the same name that we hear individually, much more so may we hear it corporately, core worship, Marvin Church. God, give us a vision that is bigger than ourself. 
And even as you give us that vision, Lord, we lay it down on the altar and offer it up to you because we want everything you have for us. So Lord, for all the pain and shame and struggle we've experienced along the way, for all the heartbreak and setback we've experienced having thought we knew what you were doing and where you were going, for all the giftedness you've given us corporately, we give it right back to you and ask you to have your way. Our word to you this morning, Lord, is here am I. And that's a plural I. So come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Pray that with me. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.